you one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday. Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, can we build back better with healthy, livelier cities? Your teacher is Elizabeth Mossop, Professor of Landscape Architecture at the University of Technology here in Sydney. Elizabeth, good afternoon. Hi there, Richard. The, the, the context, we're going to get onto cars in a moment, but the context for this, I guess, is that a lot of people have taken the excuse of the pandemic to actually leave Sydney. They've decided that there's a better life to be had up the coast or, or inland or, or whatever. Absolutely. Um, you know, they're definitely running to uh, things that they see that are very attractive outside the big cities. But I think they're also, you know, of course, they're running away from eye-watering real estate prices, but they're also running away from things like congestion and commuting that really reduce people's quality of life. Now, one of the main things you mentioned there was was the commuting, the dominance of the motor vehicle. In a way, you know, from the 1950s onwards, when the motor vehicle really took over in places like America and Australia, our cities were rebuilt. They were remade around the needs of the motor vehicle, weren't they? Absolutely. And the needs of the motor vehicle have really taken primacy over over everything else. And we have regarded the sort of the, the the need to facilitate the private car transport as the most important part of, of cities and as a kind of unquestioned uh, standard that we need to meet. You say that in some American cities, and Australia wouldn't be too far behind, but in some American cities, 70% of the space downtown is consumed by cars when you put together the roads and the parking and all of that, it's an amazing idea, isn't it? It's, it's, it's pretty extraordinary. And, and in the US, I think they have 2 billion, 2 billion parking spaces, eight times more than, than they even have cars. Mm-hmm. And so, so we just, the circulation space, the parking, all of that is uh, incredibly space expensive. Mm-hmm. So imagine what you could get back if you got rid of at least some of them. Some cities around the world are experimenting with just this, aren't they? So many <laughs> cities are, are experimenting with this. A lot of European cities, which in many instances are cities originally built before cars, have been experimenting with taking cars out of their centres, you know, the city centre is often the place where you have the most congestion and the most sort of disruption of, of people's lives. Um, in Paris today, once a month, they have a complete car-free day in the heart of Paris and they are implementing a whole range of, of different things and they've got it to the point where nowadays 60% of people who live in Paris don't even have a car. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. And you, you've got places like, well, there's some places that have traditionally not had cars. Venice is one, for instance. Venice is one. And of course, that's one of the magical things about Venice is that it's just the canals and the beautiful squares and the buildings and and the people and you leave all of the... Um, all of the things to do with cars stay behind on the mainland. And there are some sort of some traditional old cities that don't have cars, like the centre of Jerusalem or like cities in, in Morocco that have big pedestrian-only areas around their medinas and, and souks. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously we'll, we'll talk about the difficulties of this in a, in a second because it's a very challenging thing, but let's talk about what you get out of that. If, if you did do something quite radical, reducing the number of, of cars, particularly downtown, what would you get out of it? Well, one of the huge things that perhaps we don't think about so much is that we would get clean air. Clean air is so important and air pollution is one of the greatest risks to to human health. Anyone who lives near a, a major road, you know, will have seen the sort of mysterious black dust in their houses and we see very clear public health effects and reduced mortality. But you also get you get neighbourhoods that are walkable, which means that they are convenient, they're safe, people can get to school or the shops and cafes or the movies or the park without driving, which is a huge luxury. And we're also, and all of that extra walking and potentially biking has real physical benefits for people and also the kind of informal social interaction that we get with more walking and more public transport also builds greater social cohesion and uh, better mental health. Mm. Some of the trips, you know, I can imagine are quite easy. If you work, you, you live near a train station, you work near a train station, yeah, sure, catch a train and maybe if society makes it really expensive for you to park your car, you'll be pushed onto the train and maybe that's good for you and good for the society and all of that. All of life's not like that, though. You've got to take Chloe to her cello lesson. How do you do that on a bus? Maybe you're in a wheelchair yourself. It's, you know, often quite difficult to, to navigate the town. There's a million reasons why sometimes people really prefer the car? The, the big thing is, is all about convenience on the one hand and also about, about habit. You know, we associate our cars with freedom and independence and, you know, being able to control our own environments. But a lot of that is because we haven't been calculating this much greater public cost that is involved. And there are some... You know, there are some kinds of journeys where the car won't be replaced, but local shopping and more frequent shopping uh, means we need our cars less. With a lot more delivery services, we need our cars less for convenience. If the school and the childcare and your work were closer to each other, all of those things become much less onerous uh, you know, and if we had much less kind of separation between areas where people work and, you know, and, and areas where people live, that would make things very different. And we have seen a little bit of that in lockdown as lots of people have had more flexibility with how they work and they've been able to control their own uh, working. A lot of the complicated logistics, especially for parents of small children, a lot of those things have become much easier. And I think that work flexibility is going to stay with us for a lot of people post-pandemic. It is interesting about zoning, isn't it? Because zoning used to be seen as absolute, uh, absolutely a social good, you know, get dirty industry over here and get lovely, you know, clean suburbs over here. But lots of cities around the world are really starting to reconsider that and pulling apart zoning so that you can actually get workplaces and living places side by side and not requiring a huge commute. 
Absolutely. And it's one of the um, biggest forces for more interesting neighbourhoods and more vibrant and flexible cities to have all of this, you know, generally sort of goes under the heading of, of mixed use. And of course, you don't want to have you know, some kind of noxious activity right next to your house. But we have so few of those. Those still have to be zoned away from where people um, are living. But the vast majority of of workplaces are pretty compatible with houses and schools and parks. Mm-hmm. This, uh, this imagined world of yours, though, Elizabeth, requires a lot better public transport than we have in a place like Sydney at the moment. Yes, it does. But it requires us to take the billions of dollars that we are investing in what are perhaps not entirely necessary um, freeways and tunnels and things like that and to invest that money into, into public transit. And it brings us all of these other social health benefits as well as uh, just the sort of the issues to do with with transit and 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 moving around, and we also but we're moving into a new era of of mobility. I think we've seen the impacts of technology in terms of of rideshare uh, facilities, but you know there are a lot of places that are experimenting with on demand forms of transit and shuttles. Lots of cities are really um, making a lot more space for e-bikes and e-scooters and things like that, which are enormously convenient and just as fast, if not faster, than cars for, you know, short the sort of short city journeys that a lot of us are making most of the time. But I, I know there'll be people who be listening to say, well, that's that's all very well if you, you know, live at one end and work at the other end of a train line. But, you know, what if in the complicated way of, of most lives, the morning starts with getting in the car, taking the youngest child to childcare in one suburb, then uh, spinning off to another suburb to drop off the, the nine-year-old at, at primary school, then whizzing past the dry cleaner to, to pick up the, the dry cleaning and then into work uh, in, a, in, a, in a fourth suburb. These, these are things that are, a car makes easy, but public transport would be, a very, would be very challenged by. And, and some of those things will only change over longer periods of time. But if your dry cleaning is taking place just a couple of blocks from the house, if your 10-year-old can get themselves to school by walking or riding their bicycle safely, you know, a lot of those things start to change. If childcare becomes more readily and locally available, then a lot of those complexities can go away. And also, if you are possibly working from home a couple of days a week, then a lot of those logistical challenges... And the thing is, we have organised our lives. I mean, I know I'm guilty of this. We've organised our lives because of the convenience of our cars, you know, because of the Mm -hmm. fact that we do just make all or do all of this crazy driving because it's some... It seems like the... It is, you know quite possibly currently the best option for us. 
but it, there's a cost to it. Although, Elizabeth, you still haven't dealt with Chloe and her cello, I don't, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I don't know who Chloe is and why she's learning the cello. Can't well, she, she pick something well lighter? the double bass and you may have to keep a little minivan especially for that. <laughs> or give her a flute and tell her to get on with it. Uh, what a great lesson. Elizabeth, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Richard. There's uh, Professor Elizabeth Mosser with another Self-Improvement Wednesday. You can listen back to her lesson online, of course, abc.net.au slash Sydney. You can catch up with or subscribe to the free Self-Improvement Wednesday podcast. Next week, a lesson from Associate Professor Sebastian Fouch, Urban Studies researcher from Western Sydney University. His topic, the how and why of water transport in trees. That's Self-Improvement Wednesday next week. 